All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with episode 27 of Zed Daily, and I have the king of Zed Run with us, Kevin from Arbitrage Racing. How you doing? What's up, Jake? How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. So I wanted to start it off by asking you, how did you get into crypto? It was, I was one of those, uh, I guess, Top Shot was my gateway drug. I mean, I, I dabbled with it back in 2017, but paper-handed some Ethereum from like 100, um, and then got back in it early 2021 with Top Shot. Always been a big basketball fan, had a big daily fantasy sports background, like collectibles. Um, so got in, and it was easy money early on, just the whole flipping of it. Everything was blowing up. And then got a little bored just because it wasn't, it wasn't tangible enough for me. I couldn't do anything with it, really. Um, and that's when I heard about Zed in late March, early April, and transitioned over. Just so happened to be kind of timing the top a little bit on top shot so that was nice too but that was kind of a transition into crypto and nfts and then over to zed gotcha and then so i've heard you guys say that you used arbitrage as your daily fantasy sports uh name but what does arbitrage mean in finance like what is the meaning of that it's all about like finding inefficiencies in the market and kind of capitalizing it to to guarantee profit so i mean it's a pretty well-known finance term and we used it in, in there. I mean, in daily fantasy, cause we'd play on multiple sites and you could kind of get these pricing inefficiencies. Say I, I love I know, LeBron on one site because he was $2,000 cheaper. We could play him there and then hedge against him on the other site where it was a little bit less efficient to play him. So that was the idea. And then honestly, I mean, we never knew this was going to blow up like this. We just knew we were going to apply some similar principles to this game. We had to pick a stable name. We were like, ah, let's just, called arbitrage racing because we were arbitrage dfs and uh just kind of stuck yeah okay makes sense so what's your initial investment when you find zed run how much money did you put in at first we put in it was i think 2.8 ethereum for both of us so 5.6 um and to go back a little more that started with with 14 dollars in the top shot and like bought i think it was uh the first cool cats pack hmm. with the 14 bucks and it just started flipping. I think I flipped Trey Young, or it was one of the series two Trey Youngs. And then I think it's Tobias Harris Cool Cat for like 300 combined. And then I have a little bit of background in the flipping space, playing a bunch of like Madden Ultimate Team growing up. So I love the idea of like working the market, finding these people who don't know the value, sniping it, and then flipping. So um, yeah, I was, I think my name was Johnny Utah over there. So did a lot of flipping on that, worked it up to 2.8 ETH, I think, which was like, I don't know. It was like 10 grand or so and then cast it out and put it in the Zed and started it with, with Robbie who also had 2.8 or so. I think he just matched me so he could get 50%. So 5.6 to answer your question. What were the name of the first horses that, that you bought and how long did you hold them and then flip them? Um, Man, the first horse we bought. We bought... The first one we had like that was memorable or do you want like just the, the first donkey we bought? I don't even know if I know the name. I try to like, I try to learn from it, but then like just cut down on my memory because it was awful. And I paid like half an Ethereum just for one that could barely stand up. Mm. So let's just say like what horse did you, did you buy with that initial investment? And do you have the majority of those today? Um, so it actually started out um, joining with some friends from that I played baseball with growing up who actually run unethical racing now, but they were from my hometown. We started a stable that was just breeding mostly. Um, 
and then they uh so we invested in like some z2s that were that were legendaries at the time just because that seemed like a great pipeline for breeding um and we dabbled with racing we had a a racer named he was a white racer um who was like a cross but it just dominated these distances um early on and at that point we were so just like crypto illiterate where we couldn't even figure out how to share a metamask login to where like only one of the guys could race and i wasn't that guy so um, they were more focused on breeding at that time too and it was right around when breeding shut down that first time i think when roid rager kind of broke it um so i ended up phasing out because i didn't have access to race i wanted to race and there was no breeding to be done so um kind of just agreed to start a racing stable of my own got robbie in um and we invested that 5.6 and we bought uh man most of mine went into that initial stable honestly and we did some flips with the z2s and and going from there and then our first big purchase as arbitrage was probably slide of hand um that was our first like true grinder i think we got for around one eth which was a lot for like a z20 but we saw some promise um, from that. And then and we must have run that horse a thousand times in a month. And just every single $2, $5 race, we were in it. And it would always pull like seven odds. And it had that nice natural U. So it would just stick in C4, C5 all day and just profit. I think we made like over an Ethereum in a month just wow. grinding $2 races. Yeah. And there was, that no was before limit. fatigue, obviously. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. There's no. So what was the state of Zed like at that time? What did it look like? Could you just race all day? Race all day, you get three at a time. The queues for a while, when there were new horses still kind of coming through after they shut the breeding down, it was a little more um, fluid in terms of the horses you'd see. But about a month in, all the donkeys kind of realized they couldn't run, and you would see the same horses over and over again. I mean, I still have nightmares of gun for hire popping into my races that was kind of one of the first kings of the spook chain um and slide wasn't necessarily in there but thinking back to my time with like white racer that thing would just spike up like 15 odds anytime gun for hire would hop in and i think murphy's law had had gone at that time and he was kind of the same way just running it like crazy so it was hard to avoid but uh yeah, it was my crash course into the spook chain we actually thought the horse was broken there for a little bit we like i think reached out to to jay or somebody and we're like yeah this seems like a glitch did our horse get nerfed because it gets six in all these and it's the exact same field except for this one horse and it goes up to like 20 odds like what's happening here um so that was an interesting time a lot of a lot of learning definitely but we caught on fairly quick and then so you guys acquired lbj goat right and was that like the horse that put you on the map in zed run yeah yeah i'd say i mean definitely in terms of like like being one of the the big boys at the table, I guess that was, that was the one. And I'll be the first to admit, like we've had some very savvy purchases um, in, in our time at Zed, but LBJ was just some dumb luck. Like we, we found them. Um, I guess we kind of set ourselves up because we identified it as one of potential Kings of the, of the spook chain. Cause it had like a 3.0 Griffey. It finished last in that Griffey. So at 2600. So we were like flagging it because of that. But you never know if those are going to be like the kings of the chain or just happen to be on the chain in a weak field. Like I think a pacer won LBJ's Griffin. So just like the, the field was not that good and he pulled great odds for it. But she like she just happened to be one of the best. And in the nature of that game um, at that time when you could just run literally there were days we ran her close to 100 times and it would keep her out of um, 
out of C1 because you could do free races too, which would pop, I think, every 30 minutes for class one. And I would literally set an alarm like every 30 minutes. And you could tell when it was about to pop because the other one finished. I'd set an alarm. And if it was a thousand to a 1200, I'd, I'd try to beat all the other people and, and get her in there. So we would do that alongside running every single high dollar and even like just $10 and up C3 or C2. And it was, it was awesome. I think we, we made like, I don't, we could probably get the data if we wanted, but it was multiple Ethereum in a month from just running LBJ. Was LBJ go the horse that kind of taught you the system that you know now with downclassing and running your horses efficiently? Like, was that your testing horse to help figure it out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we, we initially got it. Um, I think it was like June 1st. I, I still remember the day. June 1st is when we bought, when, when the bid was accepted. Um, and from there, we, we kind of took it by storm, pulling amazing odds in all these fields. And I think there was one field where it beat Valkyrie, who was kind of the C2, C3 beast at that time. And at that point, we we're like, wow, this is a, this is a great horse. Um, so then we just kind of sent it on the way up. During that time, you didn't have to wait to get to class one before you could race in class one. So, I mean, one of my favorite times in like Zed Discord was that day when everybody just kind of caught on to LBJ being out there, kind of a fun, like polarizing name. Um, and there were just like people following along, some people saying he's like a fraud, some saying she's awesome. Um, and then I threw her into a, a class one with like Rendezvous and all of those beasts. And I think she defined, she pulled like fourth best odds, but that was the point where I was like, okay, she's awesome and dominates, but she's not the king or the queen, whatever. Um, and decided to, to reel her back in. So you can look at the race log. We kind of sent it, and then we went back and tested a 1600, which is where all those um, specialists will tend to just like A-shape over the middle mm. and pull really high odds if they're a true specialist. Um, and once she, she did that and pulled really high odds, we knew she was in that chain at the time and wanted to reel her back in. So at that point, um, actually reached out to Murphy's Law, who was probably like one of the true OGs of tanking with Gun for Hire, because that horse had no business being in class four, but he, he knew what he was doing. I think Valkyrie was doing some similar stuff. So reached out. It was all very intuitive to me. He just helped refine some of it. So shout out to Stins on, on that. Um, but that was definitely the horse that we refined it with. And then we kind of brought it mainstream, I guess, because people were doing it ahead of us, but it wasn't that public. And then by doing it and by profiting so much with LBJ, I think it kind of brought it to the forefront. And I still remember early on, we debated it because uh, it was going to kill the win percentage. Like LBJ could have easily been a 20 to 25% winner in the right C1s if we wanted to do that. But we were wanting to maximize profitability and maximize ROI. So it made a lot of sense at the time. But people um, would like tag us and act like we were like ruining the horse and ruining like their, their resume and we were fools. We're never going to be able to sell the horse for anything. Um, I guess we can touch on that on that later. But there was some hot takes coming out, mainly because people just didn't quite understand it. So personally, I loved hearing that because that meant we were enough ahead of the like general population that there was still an edge to be had in this in this department. Um, and then after mainstream, um, around the time I did that interview um, on Zed Insights, Everybody seemed to be be tanking, and now it's just kind of common practice in the meta, if you will. How much profit did you make with LBJ Goat while you had him, and then how much did you sell her for? Yeah, I'll pull it up. I want to get the, the number right. Um, I think we—I don't know if we ever hit ten. I think we got to like 
9.2 or something Great. running running LBJ over the course of like four months. And then we bought for 1.5 just as a one race Z3 and then sold for um, to Wagney for basically the value of like 15. So it was it was some ETH, some horse equity. But yeah, so a decent, decent little four month flip. And you had LBJ Goat posted at 15 when I first came into the game, right? Kind of just as like, fuck it. If you want to buy it for that price, then go buy it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The, the problem I found, I find this problem a lot when I'm selling horses and like why I don't sell horses that often is I price it as if like the value of it to me and to our stable running it, because I don't want to let it go for cheap because I know we could make X amount a month, like just running it. Right. And then that's assuming someone is willing to dedicate the amount of time that we put in to run it optimally and, and truly get the maximum value out of it. So often there's a disconnect between what we value it at and what people are willing to pay. And that's, that's perfectly fine, but that's a lot of reason why we end up just holding a lot of our horses. Makes sense. So you perfected the, the racing system with LBJ goat. And at this point you still have LBJ goat, but how did you go about scouting out these new horses, the princess of power, the milk bar manias? How did, how, how are you scouting these horses and finding them so early? I, it was so much easier with odds. And part of the reason why I, I, We'll debate anybody who says that odds to come back. I, I could see it in some element. I don't think odds are the answer because the game was just too easy at that point with odds. It, it, once again, I think we were a little ahead of the curve on that portion of it. If you give the current state of Zed a month with odds, they will know exactly what we knew at that time. And they were way too easy, way too telling. And it would just kill any like longevity of the game. So I think they made the right move on a side note, getting rid of that. Maybe you could give a little more information with the flames, but that's a different conversation. Um, in terms of like scouting, we thought horses with odds, it was quite easy. We had certain horses that we knew how good they were running and we had them in every single class at most distances too. So if, if you're following it as much as we were, like we were on the game all day, um, at least one of us just tracking, seeing almost every race, you had that old site zest that would pop up with every single odds. So we would track quite literally every race that came through that site to see if there was a new name that popped up. Um, and once you see great odds, you want to see what the field is like, right? So typically we get one on our radar by seeing the odds, seeing the super low um, thing that would catch our eye. And then we would try to snipe the next race of that, that of that racer with one of our own. Um, Cause they gave you three races at a time back then and you had unlimited stamina. So we would literally just see what class they were in, see what distances they were running and try to snipe one so we can get that kind of transitive property comparing our odds to the new horse's odds. At that point, hopefully it was early enough, um, we would know pretty close to how exactly good that horse was going to be. Um, and eventually people started to catch on to a, a little bit on that, like, oh, man, we beat LBJ at, at 2,400. That horse, is, that horse is awesome, so we must have a killer. Or, like, it really didn't get beat back then, but it would get close, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, I, I pulled nines against LBJ. This is a killer. Um, so what we did for Princess of Power was taking another level where we had a feeling Princess would at least be competitive with LBJ at distance. But at that time, the owner didn't really know if it was a distance horse or um, a sprinter. So I think it had joined a 1,200. And what people didn't know at the time was whatever position you were on like the distance, the marathon ladder, you would also fall in that same order in the odds 
of the opposite end of the spectrum. So it was a 1200 princess of power, I think out pulled LBJ like nine to 13. Mm. And as soon as we saw LB or princess beat LBJ by that much at a non non primary distance, we knew it was going to be better than LBJ, but we didn't tip our hand because that owner didn't see LBJ in a 2400 and princess beat it. So mm. we still paid a pretty penny because they were fairly sharp. They knew what they had just not quite <laughs> what they had. So I think we paid three for princess um and i've since made like 12 and a half offer is that the best situation when you get a guy that doesn't know what they have uh like a new guy say for me for instance you kind of tipped me off because i saw your wallet address and i knew you were the best racer in the game i'm sure you probably changed up your strategy now but um yeah like go ahead that's a great that's a great story i mean the the ideal scenario is yeah somebody doesn't really know what they have the, the, the true idea of the scenario is somebody doesn't know what they have and they have just a buy now out there because they want to cash out and they they love the idea of getting a quick like thousand dollars that's the dream and you just go snipe the buy now because it does feel a little wrong like taking advantage of somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and bidding and then them just accepting uh, it feels a little different than them setting a price they love and you just beating other people sniping it mm-hmm. probably is the same thing it just feels better make me sleep at night um but we don't really have many of those like super snipes i'll call it it was more so finding them early taking an educated risk and then paying a price um to like to reflect the amount of risk we're willing to take on and then just surviving long enough to hit those upside scenarios like princess of power like milk bar um so it's kind of setting ourselves up to get lucky but i mean you could probably you could quote it as well as i with that diamonds exchange where i don't remember what tipped me off of diamonds but you could just tell it was it was a killer. It was a Z2. And I don't ever think I really like lowballed you. I almost mm-hmm. came on too hot, if anything. Um, I think it was like five, and then I got all the way up to like 10. And this was a time there was not many sales going for that high. Um, and it was early, too. You were probably single digits or low teams races in. And, I mean, God, props to you for just, I don't know, I mean, thinking psychologically of like, man, he must know what he's got. But uh, people who get mad at us for having burners now, you can thank Evergreen for uh, for that, man. He uh, is the reason because I have no doubts if we had kind of changed our strategy and he may not have known it was us. Maybe he didn't have that same conviction to hold on um, knowing that we knew something about diamonds. Yeah, it, it was because I came in, I bought the horse for 1.1. I come back the next day and I see a three Ethereum offer. Now I'm sitting here like, okay, I could I could take this quick flip, but somebody knows something about this damn horse that I don't. And then the one thing that tipped me off is that I researched the game and then I go into the wallet. Now, at this point, I'm new to NFTs. It's my first NFT. And so I'm like, I think I'm doing some real detective shit by going and looking in your wallet. And then I see all these killer horses. I'm like, ah, this guy knows something about my horse that I don't know. And then I went back and went back and looked at the races and saw like you tossed in Princess of Power or LBJ Goat or something like that. Yeah, I think it was like 2,000 meters diamonds had like pulled comparable odds to Princess. And while that's not her best distance, that like doesn't happen very often. I mean, Breathless Edge didn't pull the same odds as Princess of Power at 2,000. And Diamonds was doing that. So I knew something was there, even though it was super early. Like, that's not fluky at all. No, no. Would you have entered Diamonds in the, uh, if you had him, would you have thrown him in that 1,000 meter Netflix race? Yeah, absolutely, man. It's, that's the horse where like, the win equity is just so strong. If there was, if it was a normal, like no rake, but no juice that high of stakes, I don't think I would have done it. But 
it's so positive EV for that horse with that win equity to to run there. Like it may you may look stupid eighty percent of the time, <laughs> right. but the twenty percent of the time you're going to be just paying for those other four out of five, you know, and, and more. So it's absolutely the, the right choice. As long as you have the funds, like don't bankrupt yourself doing it because you're gonna hit some some cold streaks as as you know. But I think you came in second in the other one, right? Or the third? Third, yeah. And the second one I got third. First one I got twelve. There you go. That's that's the name right there. But uh I mean yeah, so well worth it with the juice pots. So let's go Plus the glory and like the, the rush, man. It's so good. Tell me about that. Cause you were in uh were you in the first one with Milk Bar? Yeah, I got both. I mean Milk Bar actually flamed in both too. But I think came in like fifth and like sixth. So just duds of runs. Is that like the most like heart racing type race right there for you in the whole platform? No, the, I tell you the the best like most nervous or like excited I I've been on the platform. It's been two times and they're they're very very different. But both are with Princess of Power. Mm-hmm. Um, one was I got Princess of Power actually on my birthday, and just like sent it in the middle of the night in a 2600 class one against rendezvous. And that was the one I like, I, I think it's going to be good, but is it going to be like the next goat? That was the race. And it's just like the, the rush you get waiting for the race to pop and those odds to come in. It wasn't even the race. It was like seeing the odds and waiting for them to, to come up because it's just so like definite when you see it like that. Um, and going through it the first time where rendezvous kind of like stepped on LBJ a little bit. And then princess pulling like one and a half better odds than rendezvous at one of its best distances that was probably the most excited like or like anxious i've been and the other was that that first zed tournament where um she made the grand final and just like all the hype but being like the first official tournament that whole format is so good and then that 1400 where she had a kind of an inverse role but it was a good run but she shouldn't have been having a good run and she lost by like 0.02 or like 0.002 seconds um, and came in second. And that's what cost her the tournament, but I'm not bitter. But that was like such a rush. I'm like, man, if I get this, we're so far ahead of the game, like in terms of what's coming next with distances she's actually good at. That whole sequence was just so fun. And like, I love the grand final format. Format It's just, it's just hard to get to. Is Princess of Power a, a U-shape? Um more u-shaped than like an lbj super specialist and once again going back to like that 1600 piece like princess pulls like nine odds at 16 it's not a good distance for her but she's perfectly fine um so she has a little bit of a natural u um but it's more just like a a complete l shape Hmm. whereas lbj is just like hammering the left side of that l and doesn't really ever get 9 10 11 12s at distance princess kind of completes the l um so not a full natural you, but a little more variance. And that's part of the reason why she can run in any field. And I think the longevity of that type of horse, because they have more upside as a result of having a little more variance, a little more downside, means that they're going to be sustainable for a longer time. That's why diamonds, what you have, that horse is going to be relevant for, I mean, another 150,000 horses. Like it's, it's going to be maybe not quite as good, but it has runs where it's a plus run is not going to get beat by anybody. Um, that's part of the reason why I went and bought, bought Festus, which is a newer horse. A lot of people don't know about it, but if you look at that horse, that is a more natural you type where you can run it anywhere 1600 and above, and it's going to win 18 to 20% in any field, but it can make you look like an idiot and lose by five seconds at the same way. Mm. But it has these runs 
like it had a run this morning where it won a class one paid race by four seconds, like second place was four seconds behind, not even on the screen. So that's the upside. And that's where you can just tell it's going to be relevant for a long time. And I think those are great horses to buy. I love those horses because like you don't necessarily have to wait for a tournament to make money off of those horses. You can just run them day to day. You know, like, okay, maybe I've got a bunch of 12s in my $2 races. Maybe I can go up to like a $10 race now and hopefully get that first place roll, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You just got to, you got to time it, time it right. So I don't know, I'm in the camp where I think all the races are independent, but it definitely feels sometime like you're due and then it kind of comes. So I, gotta, I need to learn how to um, stagger, stagger my entry fees a little better. Cause right now I just do a pretty much a standard five, ten dollar every time. Interesting. Interesting that you say that because I, I thought that you would, you would have this figured out if anybody, but I guess nobody has this I part think- figured out right then. It's just kind of random. I think it is random. That's that's kind of how I figured it out. I mean, that's my belief right now. I'm open to ideas. Maybe BG's cooking something up mm. with uh, streakiness, but I, I think they're all independent roles, so I just try to keep it consistent. But, I mean, with the current system, it's almost impossible to keep things perfectly consistent because if you see a distance pop, I'm not going to, like, skip a $100, 2200 that I know the horse is going to kill at just because it's been winning a ton recently. Mm. Like, I'm still going to enter it. So it's hard to really like stick to that strategy, even though it sounds good in theory. Yeah, the but usual- maybe maybe they throw out something later on where it's more like, like a DraftKings style entry mm-hmm. where you have a distance, you have an entry fee, and once it fills, you got another one popping up. You know, um, I think that would work really well in terms of satisfying the demand not only for like each distance, but also for each buy-in pool. Because you'll see sometimes, like yesterday, Class Three had marathons as all the high dollar races and nobody's entering just because all the specialists are classed up uh, and none of them are running in C3, but they just sit there and take up the higher, higher volume um, buy-ins all day. And that's just, that's not the way to do it. There's, there's gotta be a better way. Would you say this game has changed your life? I say it's, it's well on the way. Like, I mean, definitely I would say yes, just because i never would have thought people would want to hear what I'm talking about and being like, on the I don't know, Mount Rushmore of Zed Stables right now. So it, it, it's kind of cool being like a virtual celebrity of sorts. Never really would have thought that would have been my uh, path or like doing streams like this. I, from a data background, doing analytics, nine to five job. And I'm still doing that actually on my lunch break right now. So um, I, I wouldn't say it's fully changed my life yet, but I think it's well on the way. And what do your friends and family think about? Like, I mean, at first it probably had to be like, oh, okay, he's racing horses. But once you start to get into these numbers, it's it probably gets real, right? Real. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what, I, I prepped them well with Top Shot because I came in there and they were like, what the hell is this? Like, it's it's a picture of a car, like a moment that is a little video clip I can watch on YouTube. So going from that and I kind of got the shock factor out of the way and then going from that into something at least you can race like a video game and make some money like daily fantasy sports. They were actually pretty prepped for that and pretty receptive early on. Um, and then, yeah, once you start seeing the the dividends and kind of how we're doing things and I'll explain to them all the analytics I do and stuff, I think they are on board. They're still skeptical of the longevity of it, um, which is probably healthy. Keeps me, keeps me sane a little bit, mm-hmm. but um, they're very supportive and thankfully because it's, yeah, it takes a ton of time. So let's go into longevity. You're making you and Diamond Hands. Well, you yourself, you've always been making some big purchases, and now you've teamed up with Diamond Hands. 
Where do you guys see this game? Everybody's making big moves. We got we got guys like Wag Me now. We got guys like you taking this game more serious. What's the longevity of Zed? Where do you want to see this game go? I want to see. I mean, I think tournaments are the future. I think tournaments and custom races are 100% where this thing is going, where it's going to prosper the most. You get tournaments uh, or even one-off races like they're sponsored and juiced up. You need things to stimulate the top end racing economy, which I think you're seeing now with these high dollar races and people going for these truly game changing horses that can, that can win that 10 grand in one day. Um, like terms did um, last week or um, like polarity won this re most recent one. Mm -hmm. So that like big lotto ticket piece brings a lot of interest to the top end. And then by throwing in these a shape race, a shape tournaments where if they do it right, I don't think this one's going to be done because they don't have the functionality, but where you have the A-shape and then you actually reward the A-shape in the bracket piece as well, unlike last last two weeks ago where they did the top three still advances. If you keep the format consistent the whole way, in theory, you're actually going to be rewarding these A-shape horses, which honestly excites me a lot too because I can go buy an A-shape horse mm. and have, have fun in that tournament as well. Mm. Um, I would argue that has even more of like a market inefficiency piece where you could just find the best A-shaped horse who's priced like a donkey right now and go pick it up and go win five grand in an A-shaped tournament once they announce it. So like it's those little inefficiencies that really intrigue me just trying to be ahead of the curve um, and, and, and go with that. So I think they have a ways to go in terms of refining these tournaments and, and growing it. But I think they're on the path. I mean, everybody always says it, but we're still early. Like any new game that comes out is going to have these exact same like um, speed bumps. Um, and I think it's kind of going back to like football where everybody loves to back up quarterback mm. until they replace the starting quarterback and you see it's the same issues. I think it's very much the same way with all this um, racing like competition. So I think Zed, the one thing they really need to get their act together on is communication though. Like there's no excuse for some of the pieces where they just keep us in the dark. Um, I don't want to get too much into that, but I think the game is heading the right direction and they're doing things behind the th scenes. I think their communication for the most part is just is just trash or very disconnected um from what they're doing and what they're telling us so if they improve on that i think the game is going going great i think a lot of my purchases would suggest i believe in that truly um i think a lot of the other kind of big guns in the space are feeling the same way does a guy like then, yeah the other thing to touch on go ahead go ahead what's up go ahead i was saying with touching your other part of the question with um custom races i think that's the other way you kind of design it to make sure every horse has a place so it could either be i mean once again tying it back to DraftKings, right they have custom lobbies you can create your own exact criteria and if you get enough people into that contest the race runs so you can say all right i want to do a buterin only race at 2200 um where it has to be a bred buterin and i enter it and then if 11 other people want to enter we run it and at least i know at that point like i'm avoiding all these other beasts um, and you could make the criteria whatever you want. There's really no reason why, as long as there's enough demand. Or you could just have one that's like a private contest, and it's you and 11 of your buddies who are playing with the no rake, um, and it's just I mean, a great Friday night, you know? So that opens up a whole new avenue for every single horse having a place to be. So if they pair that, the high-end tournaments and tournaments for everybody, as well as well as like custom races, I think the ecosystem will be super healthy. Yeah, because, like, you don't have to come in and buy a horse to compete against you, right? You can just buy a horse to compete against your 12 yeah. buddies at the bar, right? And it makes it fun. Exactly. It's so fun. And then, like, it's unrealistic to think, and I, I don't want to offend anybody, but, like, 
it's unrealistic to think week in and week out the most amount of money should go to like the lottery ticket horses, right? If you're spending 10 ETH, 20 ETH like Wagme is on horses, it makes sense for those assets to be the most valuable and most of the tournaments and big pools to be geared towards those those types of horses. Otherwise, your economy collapses because nobody's going to pay that much for, for that, that horse. So I think it's important to remember that, but hopefully Zed does a good job and it seems like they're trying to balance satisfying the premium horses with these A-shaped horses. So, so far, so good on that. I've been impressed um, as long as they figure out what to do with the quarterfinal, semifinal, and final with these A-shapes because you should not be rewarding first, second, and third in those races. Without giving away your secrets, are you trying to game that right now to, to get into that tournament? We'll see. Uh, it's hard now. I don't, if I had LBJ, I absolutely would be um, trying to get into the, uh, the A-shape because you have that. Yeah. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So that's an option, but I we'll, we'll see. Stay tuned. Maybe on, on Wednesday or I guess Tuesday of next week, you'll see some names popping up. But in reality, it's pretty hard to game. Like you can't do it with a sprinter because they're going to be bucketed in that mid, that mid block. And a sprinter is never going to win an 1800 um, quarterfinal, semifinal and a final. So you're kind of just wasting your time killing your win rate. Um, so it's not as easy as the game is just like, hey, run a spike horse at 1600. It just, it's not quite that clean, but we have some ideas. Does a guy like Wagme coming into this game give you even more justification and belief in this game? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the one thing we're kind of missing with the game right now is just people truly like aping in like those OG crypto people who have all this Ethereum. And I think they're really the first of that bunch, or at least early in that fact that they have all this crypto money, but they want to do something with it that is entertaining. And it's a game, but I mean, at the same time, you can you can kind of buy your way in and every horse has a price. Um, and they're certainly doing that, but they're also super interested in learning about the game. Like I talk with them pretty frequently, trying to give them some race, racing tips. Um, I know Donkey teaches them a little bit about breeding and, and things like that. So they're not just dropping money in, they're like engaged in the community. So they're much more than like a stimulus package. And I, I mean, if it works for them, I think that's just proof of concept that they're not going to be the last that comes in. So let's go into arbitrage hands. I see I see this one wallet. Now, this is before you guys announced it. And I see someone's buying Festus, Ray Del Mundo, and Evergreen Gates. And I'm sitting back. I'm like, this is either KYH or it's arbitrage. And I, I didn't know. But then when you guys announced it, it was you and Donkey, uh, you and Donkey Teeth. How would you guys form this? Why? And just what's the story behind that? Yeah, I mean, it's more like he – I, in my eyes, um, you have like the blood tool is big for breeding, but in terms of like a single best breeder of monsters, donkey teeth like is that stable mm-hmm. for me. So I think as a partnership, it makes a lot of sense to kind of have the avenue of me being one of the best racers and then him being one of the best breeders. It just makes sense for a lot of dialogue, right? So we've been talking a lot, thinking about future breeding plans, getting some tips on both ends for us um, and just learning more about the game. Um, so that was kind of how it started. And then it actually came out to where we had Festus, um, targeted and donkey teeth came to me wanting the exact same horse. And at that point it was like, well, why don't we just, I'm a little short on liquidity cause we hadn't sold milk bar yet. Um, why don't we just go 50, 50 on it. Right. And then we started going a little deeper, got Festus, um, and then went through targets and we had some very similar targets as well. And I was like, well, still short on liquidity. Let's go 50-50 on this horse, on this horse. So we kind of started with that. 
I also adopted a few of his earlier horses that he gave to me for, I guess, half of them. So there's, I think, nine or 10 horses in that stable. So the, the plan would be, as he breeds monsters, if I identify them early, potentially we could do like a 50-50 split and I'll do some race management on, on those. Um, so at least that's the, the dream for me. Let me get like a triumph, a triumph in there, like a shadow for days in there. And uh, that'd be a, a good time. So that's my logic on it. Um, he's just a great guy to work with. So I, I would point out it's, it's definitely a, a joint venture in addition to arbitrage. There's no way like us merging our entire stables. It's more of just a, a partnership and potentially like a go forward of, of future horses. But he will not be acquiring arbitrage. What does the future of arbitrage and arbitrage hands look like? I've heard people say that some of these stables, like your stable, could potentially become a DAO. Uh, what's the future looking like for you guys? I mean, we're always open to ideas. I mean, I think whatever we see as um, kind of the best growth opportunity, we're going to assess. That's where you start talking about like it changing your life, doing something like that. Absolutely would. Where you start thinking about like, do I need to do this full time? Because right now we have two of us and we can pretty much manage it with our, both of our workloads um, and do it optimally. But if you double the horses or you have all this outside investing, then it becomes a little more real. Um, so I won't rule anything out. I think the Dow piece is interesting. You see some of that happening. So I could be like a race manager type or acquired by a Dow would be interesting. Um, for us, I mean, we're kind of just trying to adjust to the game as it comes and then let that stuff come to us a little bit. We're not too proactive with it yet, but I will say recently with the liquidity piece and seeing all these great buying opportunities in the market, it would be a great time to have some liquidity and that's something potentially one of those types of setups could provide because I mean, you've seen that there's, there's all sorts of, of horses to be bought at pretty fair prices. Um, I think it's a market inefficiency with how much you can make with a horse in these tournaments with a good role. If they keep doing them weekly um, that versus what they're actually priced at. So I'd be intrigued if the numbers matched up, but um, nothing set in stone right now. If you were just coming into the game today, and you understood the game, you did your research, how much Ethereum would you spend and what would you go get? Oh, man. Come in right now? Yeah, I normally I would, ask people, like, with half an ETH would, what you would get, but I want to hear what you say. Yeah, yeah. I want to see if, like, you would need more or less. I would think of it, like, kind of as your... I don't know how many people have, like, a day trading background, but you would definitely want to ease into it like with day trading, you do some paper trading to start so you don't like lose your lose your back with doing like losing everything. So you do paper trading, get your hang of it, make your all your, your mistakes where it doesn't actually hurt you. So I would start out buying um, probably like a 0.3 horse. I mean, it's a lot of money, but $1,000, lower $1,000. Buy a horse that can grind and can teach you a little bit about how to maneuver your way through a class system, um, how to identify where they're good, where they're not learn all those lessons with a small investment um definitely on the racing side i mean you're talking to us so i would go get a racer and learn and then you get a good one maybe you grind out half an ethereum maybe you make a run in a tournament um and then you can either choose to put more money in or just reinvest that piece um and go for like a i think a i think the genesis are just way underpriced right now there's there's something coming where they're going to add value to that genesis um eventually des you would imagine comes and they've already stated that that's going to be targeted at Genesis holders. And you look at some of the prices now, and they're well below drop price for most of the Z's. So um, 
I think that's a great buy. So I'd probably have my racer and invest, um, go get a, a Z5 Finney for 0.6. Um, those are some of my favorite Genesis horses just because they're affordably priced. They've been proven to be really good runners, really good breeders. Um, I had file format for a long time. One of the uh, top 10% C1 runners and can breed too. I think one of its offspring was a, a finalist yesterday in the tournament. So I love the Z5 Finneys. So that'd be my strategy. Get a nice cheap racer, learn that side of it, then invest in a Genesis. How do you identify these racers? What website are you going on and what metrics are you looking at? How many races, flame percentage, what are you looking at there? Yeah, I mean, it used to be a lot easier, like I was saying with the odds. I use Know Your Horses almost exclusively. We have some of our own internal stuff when it comes to like scouting, but it's all pulling data from these public sites like Haku and, and Know Your Horses. Um, so that's more for just filtering it the way we want to filter it. So that's for scouting. In terms of like race analytics, it's almost entirely KYH. Um, they just, they have things very intuitively laid out, I think, with the, the no, newish horseshoe function where you can pretty cleanly see where horses are good, where they're not so good. And then flames, in some aspect, made it even easier to find where your horse should be run at. Um, so I think it's actually easier that way to figure out where to run your horse, uh, looking at flame rates, adjusting for field and buy-in, but um, all else equal flames do mean you're running it in the right place but it makes it harder to evaluate exactly like where a horse stacks up next to other horses mm. um, using like diamonds for an example right that horse is a beast and I have zero doubt if we had odds it would be top three odds in pretty much every race it enters at any distance but I don't know what the flame rate is I would be surprised and see one if it's much above like 60 percent I don't know um just because it has that natural U mm -hmm. and the definition of flames is podium rate. So it could have 20% win equity and 10% second and 0% third. And that 30% podium rate isn't in the top three of the field because you have these more A-shaped low Z Genesis horses that are very left skewed and consistent, but they have a 5% win rate mm -hmm. and a 20% second, 20% third. And they're going to flame over you all day, but you're the better horse. And that's a little tricky and you need to, learn how to identify these um, horses that are impacted negatively by, by flames and which horses to put more stock into the flames. So that's just if a horse is winning without pulling flames or if it's getting like first and 12th uh, without getting flames or it's like 50-50. Yeah, yeah. If it's a U, if it's a natural U and you want to make sure you're controlling by distance, right? Um, so if you look at your distance, it's your best one um, and it's a natural U. Like we actually just got a new horse um, Skucks, so S-K-U-X-X, -X, is one of the biggest natural U distance specialists I've ever seen. So it, it never flames in class one. But I once again, I guarantee if we ran a lot in class one, it would be a 15% winner there. Um, but it will flame less than 15% of the time. So like a rare case where you have a higher win rate than a flame rate. But it's because it's tanking itself so much naturally with a huge variance. But that variance also enables it to win those those tough fields because it's got that top end ability. Yeah, I love that. Chat, if you guys got any questions for arbitrage, we got about like five more minutes here. I'll ask you my last question. If you could change one thing in Zed right now, you can change, you can bring back odds, take away flames, bring back uh, three races at a time, take away fatigue. What would you change and why? I, I, would, I would add customs, 100%. Custom races is the thing missing right now. And I think that's why a lot of people feel left out with some of their horses because there's just no place to run them. 
Um, freeze used to be a good spot and they still are like it's no cost and it's it's fun but the way they have freeze set up right now and I think they're about to change this where you can class up but you can't class down free races feel like a trap because all you're going to do is just just direct your horse up to class one and it'll be left there to die so um, I think if you had customs you would be able to kind of run that horse however you wanted against whoever you want and just have fun with the game again, right? Like you could create your own free race. You could create your own 50 cents race. You just want the entertainment. Um, so I think that would be huge. And that's be the next thing I would, would add. I love that. Yeah. It's just taking the serious competitive aspect out of the game for the guy that just wants to come in, have a good time on Friday yeah. night with his buddies. He can do that. Andy Mack asks, your own adventure. Yep. How do you test out a new breed? Um, so I typically pick a Griffin that is on one end of the spectrum. So either like a thousand or 1200 and then a 24, 26, just so I can know like, Hey, if it flames there, if it flames at 2,600, it's probably not a sprinter. So I can go ahead and like knock off three of the distances as it being a possibility. And if it flames at 2,600, it's either a good distance specialist um, or it's a mid that's a low Z. And then I can kind of just narrow it down that way. I think if you, if you run like an 1800, you may flame and it's good, but that doesn't tell me really anything, whether it's a sprinter or a distance horse. And I'm just kind of left to figure all that out in the paid racing or in the class racing. So I try to dial it in as quick as I possibly can. I think one way to do that is yeah, starting on the end of the spectrum and then kind of working your way to the other end as you try to discover the horse. Are you profitable in this game? I know the answer to this question, but uh, how profitable are you in this game? we're we're doing all right i'd say everybody knows our i guess if you if you look you can you can find our on the track uh profits i would say we've made even more flipping horses than on the track that's what people don't realize we don't we don't hit every time i'd say there's probably a 50 percent hit rate but our misses are managed well and we get a price that we feel okay about the downside and we play for the home run i like that and last question for you I've heard someone say that everybody talks about your wins. Nobody talks about your misses. What are some of the horses that you missed on and how much did you spend on them? Man, we, we got one right now. Uh, it's, it was, uh, his name bullish luck was the one we have right now. And I think we used some speed data there and it, it had good signs of a U. Um, it had like a really like historically good 1800 time. So I'm not, I'm still on the fence of whether speed really matters, but I do believe it's a great sign of the shape and consistency of a horse and this horse showed really good signs of having a significant you so by running a time that fast it was comparable with like a vanilla bean or a nine lives type type you horse and we wanted to pull the trigger so i think we bought it for like 0.4 and or 0.44 and we're still running it but it's just a it's a class class four horse and that one we kind of got doubly hit because it's good enough to grind out class four and we could have made that 0.4 back or a decent chunk of it back in time, but we bought it like two days before they announced the nerfing of the use with uh, the class system. So it was like, yep, this horse isn't as good as we think, and we're not going to be able to run it in class four like we want. So we just parked it right now, and we're kind of waiting for the class system to come back to it a little bit. Um, and if somebody wants to pay 0. 0.3 or 0. 0.4 for it, we would, we would cut losses. But we don't, we're not going to run it up in the class one because that's a death sentence. How much did you guys pay for vanilla bean? Um, I don't know if they want us to tell us this, but no, uh, you can keep it on the. Low I would key. say keep on low. I'll tell you with because I know Wagme doesn't mind. Um, 
we we told sold LBJ for say like 15 and then milk bar for 22. So not quite Artois money, but it was I think it was a, a fair buy for them based off the consistency as long as it stops tanking in these uh three thousand dollar races we we made like we made like 1.3 i think in in a month and that was with just just kind of throwing it in anything in class one and no huge tournament hits so i think that's very sustainable plus it's got that z2 genesis um stability so i think it was a solid buy but yeah not quite artois level purchase gotcha all right man well uh thank you so much for your time do you got any questions for me I'm good, man. I appreciate all you do. Um, and then, yeah, I've definitely learned a thing or two from you watching Diamonds. So I look forward to trying to emulate what you're doing um, with Diamonds with our horse Festus. So I'm always learning and uh, yeah, appreciate what you're doing as well. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for you what you've done for the community as well. You've put out a lot of information that you could have kept secret on uh, these what we call synthetic U-shaped horses now. So I think uh, a lot of people appreciate you and just thanks for being a good dude, man. Yeah, you got it, man. Have a good day, bro. See ya.